but when you're making the stuff and you put it out in front of people, sometimes there's this kind of resistance. They're like, ah, yeah. I'm, this doesn't look like it's for me. Yeah. And so it's so especially if people have to put their money where in, into it or they have to take a space where um, they could put something that's more profitable there. They will choose profit over over inclusivity or diversity every time. Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einelander. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. Today, I'm joined by Brian and Josie Parker of Believe in Wonder Publishing. Believe in Wonder is a youth-focused publishing entity based in Portland, Oregon. They publish internally developed works like The Wondrous Science, You Can Rely on Platypi, and Crow in the Hollow, but also actively search out new and amazing works to bring to the public eye. Their focus is to promote imagination, inspiration, and positive thinking in kids and adults alike. In a time where social pressures and injustices threaten to take away our ability to dream of a better future, they hope to promote endeavors and education that uplifts and inspires as well as provides creative outlets for the young and young at heart. They have an emphasis on bringing these opportunities to underrepresented communities and their allies, but hope their work and message is embraced by many. We also spoke with Brian back in episode 11, and he joined us along with Greg Girding of University of Hell as part of our Business of Being an Author series in conjunction with Jan's Beaverton Bookstore. Josie joined Brian today to speak about the challenges they've experienced as Black creators and publishers of children's books. They also share how they balance the resistance they've gotten in the industry and other general tolls on their mental and emotional health with their mission to inspire young readers, particularly those who have had fewer opportunities to see themselves as heroes in the books they read. They are also joined today, occasionally, by their chief inspiration officers, Victor and Kamari Parker. So let me just start here. Um, I remember something that we may have talked about in our um, first time we talked for the show, you saying something about how it's harder, or maybe this was on Facebook, how it's harder to get a job in a publishing house for someone who is older and has a family because you you actually like need money and benefits and can't be as the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so was that... Was that sort of the the spur for you starting your own uh, your own company, or was that the plan all along? Like, how did I guess how did like the resistance in the publishing industry to uh, to yeah. needs of yours? Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of it was it's like a lot of things. It's it's it was spurred on by multiple stimulus, but. Um, one one thing was yeah is that um getting a job in the publishing industry as a as a older professional as somebody that had been you know that had moved from one part one aspect of making art and working in design and trying to move into this industry that, that wanted to kind of 
start you off from the ground up again. That was that was tough. And as somebody who had tried to publish books in the past, you know, we went the traditional route. Um, we went to the all of the book events. We went to all of the uh, the uh, writers conferences. We showed our stuff to editors. We showed our stuff to um, other artists, other 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 writers, and um, there was this weird resistance that was just like, "Oh, these books are great." I'm not exactly sure how we would market them, and I was like, "Okay." You know, you hear it from one person and you're just like, oh, well, maybe this particular publishing company is going in a different direction. You know, maybe they're focusing on a different demographic. But then you hear it a couple of times and then you start to think to yourself, you know, maybe it's not the quality of the work. Maybe it's just that there's not a publishing house out there where the kind of work that we make really can flourish, you know? And then you start to, as, as a creative, you start to ask yourself all kinds of stupid questions like, you know, well, maybe maybe I'm making the wrong kind of stories. Maybe, maybe I got the wrong kind of characters. You know, maybe I'm not looking at what's popular right now. And um, then you start making creative decisions based on what you think other people are going to like. Uh, and okay. That's the, I think that's the weird thing you the weird line you you stand on as a as a creative and a person that's trying to sell your stuff is that you want to find a market for it but you don't want to like you know change your voice so much to so that you can fit in and then, at, and then at one point, uh, I had somebody just kind of say it outright, you know, to me. They were like, "Look, I love these books. These, these. I mean, this is really good stuff." And they're like, um, "A lot of publishers have a hard time publishing, um, you know, characters of color because they don't think that that community is really interested in these kinds of stories." And and then um, general population won't pick up a, a book of a person. Yeah, with color. a person of color on it, and I and mean, I was like, "Are you what?" Yeah, I mean, what? what I mean, I kind of, I kind of appreciate you say that again. I kind of appreciate yeah. the person said it to me, and they said it to me without malice, and they yeah, said it to it, me. It was like straight. It was just straight, like this is the reality talk. of it, you know. This is this is what you have to deal and, with. And I had to hear it again because I was like, I I have to pick up a book about mm-hmm. you know a person that's not my my background or anything like that that's like a a thing that's every day yeah so how is it that the opposite isn't true yeah and it's yeah. and it's weird for a reader you know because i yeah i grew up reading um all kinds of stuff yeah. you know um i just got a copy the other day of scary stories to tell in the dark yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, well it's the, it's the collected version of all three books and I love that stuff. I, I used to read that. I used to read. I, I read Agatha Christie when I was like in second grade, you know. And wow. there were no POC characters in there. So I mean, the idea of picking up a book that has that that deals with the culture or uh, or main characters that aren't like you, that just seems like it's just part of the reading experience. That's right. like that's. But but when you're making the stuff and you put it out in front of people, sometimes there's this kind of resistance they're like ah, yeah. i'm 
this doesn't look like it's for me. Yeah, and so it's a, especially if people have to put their money where into into it, or they have to take a space where um, they could put something that's more profitable there. They will choose profit over over inclusivity or diversity every time. Yeah, and yeah. then when um, we put out our first book, our first our first graphic novel, um, you can rely on Platypi. Because Josie was like, Brian, stop talking about making stuff and then actually just make something. Yeah. And then and it was like what ninety percent platypus. Yes, it's most. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> one of the reasons why the main character. I think at that time, I think we we came up with him is like I want to. Well, first off, I wanted to make him a platypus, yeah. but then at the same time, I, I made his like best friend a, a POC character, and I was yeah. like, let's see what people will say if we make something and we just write the story that we want to tell. And we we took it to a comic book, not a comic book convention. It was a it was actually a anime con in Anchorage, Alaska, and people were so cool. People were so awesome. They came and they they engaged with us. They talked about the stories. They were so encouraging. They were so happy with the with the work that we had done. And I more than more often than not, there were people that were just like, "Oh my gosh, I've never seen a story like this." Yeah. So that was one of the, the main things is like after that, we were like, well, if we can't find anybody that wants to publish our work, even though it's good, if we can't get the support that we need to publish it, if we if, if even though it's good, then um, we just need to do this on our own. And and even though we knew a good bit of stuff about printing and design and layout and how to get in touch with editors and all this stuff. I still felt like I didn't know enough. So that's when I went back. I was like, I'm going to get a master's degree in this and I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. It was a really great experience and I loved being at Portland State, but it's so weird how many times I was being taught something that I already knew and I was just like And Brian would come home and he'd be like I don't know. This class, I think if I, I could probably teach this class. Better than the teacher. <laughs> I like, Why are you telling me this? You know how much this is costing, right? <laughs> yeah, I, a couple I, moments as digital manager wanna... like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, exactly, exactly. Oh, man. I, there was one class I would just rock the socks off of. It was just designing book covers and book layout and stuff. Yeah. And But then again, a lot of the people that were in the program were English majors, and they were they had you know, had a background in writing, and I had a, a actual background in design and 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 thank you worked at a printer and did all that stuff. So, but I'm glad that I did because when I came out of it, then I was like, well, at least we know now that we're standing on a firm ground of well, this is what we know. And then Brian was like, I'm a master. Just call me master for the rest of the year. <laughs> and you're like, no. Yeah. It makes you wish you could get like a badge after you get your degree and you just walk around and be like, you can I'm introduce myself as Master Brian. Just get one of the get one of those stoles or whatever. Yeah, so you there. can wear it all the time. The like the backward scarf. <laughs> backward scarf. <laughs> um yeah, so I, if I recall, one of my issues when I was going to school for this was that mostly it was just the traditional path being taught. 
Yeah. Um, do you feel like you got resources you needed to get started doing things on your own? Or do you feel like that just wasn't something that people expected anyone? I, I got the feeling that people were trying to be progressive in the way that they were thinking and not only in how to navigate the industry and how to find new markets and stuff. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it was, this is how it's been done. So, you know, you need to learn how it's been done before you can go out there and break the mold and do something yeah, different. Yeah, but then also, at, you know, there was the change in how people were getting their content. So there was more of web-based things. There were there was more of um, non-traditional um, mm -hmm. trajectory of how people did their publishing and got their stuff out there. So, you know, that wasn't, I'm not sure if that was hit on in those classes, but we were researching and we were saying, hey, you know, we can do, we can put our books on Amazon and we can put our books on um, on the on the web and, and then still make a pretty decent amount of money. Yeah. And but you can get down. Yeah. Then stop. But yeah, I mean, every everything that we, it ends up the way that we do it, just kind of flies in the face of. <laughs> yeah, everything. <laughs> How it's supposed to be done? Because <laughs> we teach, <laughs> we offer, uh, we offer, you know, interviews. Like we'll we'll talk to people about processes and diversity and. You know, we kind of fit a niche that people didn't even know that they wanted. You know, so yeah. so when they see our website, they say, "Oh, you guys can go into the classrooms," or "Oh, mm -hmm. you guys have done this thing or this thing." And, yeah, and, and they're like, "Wow, well, we might need this service from you guys." Well, and and the way that we make books too. I mean, we we're not sourcing out what uh, what it looks like the key demographics are looking for or, you know, what are trends in the, you know, in the YA or, you know, middle reader or picture book genres and stuff. We just write stories that we, that we love, you know, stuff that we want to see this. Apple. Yeah. It's like, why I want, I've always wanted to see this story. Nope. And, uh, Where's that quote from? Is it Toni Morrison or is it, uh, yes, Toni Morrison or she's like, if you don't see a book out there, then it, you're meant to write it. You're supposed to yeah. go and make it, and or that book is, you want to read. Or... Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, that's kind of the the thrust of it. And and it's the thing about it too is that is I feel that especially science fiction and fantasy and and books that you read in your youth. I mean, these things are aspirational, you know? Yeah. When you're reading these stories, they they unlock a part of your brain that says, I can do these things. I can be these things. And I think that that's probably a big, it's a disconnect between people that are putting the books out there and the audiences. is that they think to themselves is that people want to see stuff that they're familiar with. But also... People want to see stuff that allows them to be something more than what they are, too. So when a young person of color or a LGBTQ youth or something is picking up a book and 
they don't see themselves represented as as a hero as a as a king as a queen as a powerful wizard as a as yeah. someone that can travel between universes and stuff i mean when they don't see themselves in those roles and stuff then they don't get that opportunity to unlock that potential in their brain you know bigger. to dream bigger than who they actually are also if there's a young person that's reading it and does and yeah, the villain. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's villain all the time. Then you start to internalize that. You start to internalize that these are the roles that are available to me. Right. You know, I am this guy. I am that girl. I I fill this niche. Mm-hmm. Also, too, I think that you know when a young person doesn't see other people represented in those in those roles, yeah, they can, they start to internalize yeah, it too, and that can solidify that. You know, the only people that are important to me are the people that are in my immediate circle that look like me. Yeah. That act like me, that don't oppose any views that I have. Yeah. You know, and, and that's unfortunate. It is because, I mean, there's, there's this really weird tradition, too, of even when a writer does write a strong, you know, female character, a strong POC character, a strong LGBTQ character or something, then... It's the it's the lean of people who try are trying to market it to as many people as possible to to water that down in like the cover or yeah. the way that it's marketed mm-hmm. or you know which 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 places that they're putting the book because they want to make sure that they're not scaring anybody off. But I don't know, it just seems like it's so much more powerful when it's when it's just presented to you and I feel that right now it starts to becoming better and I'm seeing it in animation too which is another which is like a you know kind of an offshoot of YA books and 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 those kinds of stories where it's put in there and it's just part of the story it's not a preachy thing it's not this kind of overt we're trying to make a stance thing it's just this who the character is Mm -hmm. and it becomes it's normalizing it's it it really does kind of infuse into your your subconscious without you even working really hard for it and i feel like that's like the best part about stories is that you learn the stuff through being entertained you know you learn the stuff without actually having to um be preached at which is, which is awesome, you know. Yeah. And well, did you want me to take it? Okay. So, yeah. I mean, we we've been thinking about this stuff a lot lately, especially yeah. with everything that's going on, and you know the shift in culture right now. These kind of this unexpected vulnerability that everybody's feeling, you know? And I really do feel like a lot of these, these big changes and stuff that are happening is kind of, is coming from that, is that people feel vulnerable. They feel raw. They feel a little scared. And then when stuff is happening in your periphery and you don't feel like you have very much license to do anything about it, those those emotions really do kind of, you know, churn up to the surface, and 
right. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing that it's happening. But, you know, it's hard right now to find a way to take the feelings and find a way to focus them in a positive way because. Mm-hmm. And the and the two of you have been out in the community for years and Portland is an extremely white place, as you know. Um, so, I mean, and I, I feel like this is a meta comment right now that I feel like a lot of people are turning to you like, well, you've always been the diversity person. Like, tell me what you think. So, um, I mean. Well, it's, it's weird. And Josie's told me this before. Do you want me to say it? I, I would rather oh. say it. Okay, I, I won't say, um, say it. It's, it's interesting because this started maybe what two years ago mm-hmm. where people were like hey you're already doing diversity can you come talk to our people and tell them what you think about diversity and i was like <laughs> i was like brian you go ahead and do that because i know myself and yeah i'm not really the person to talk to you um and be on in the spotlight mm-hmm. and have people ask me questions because to me, I grew up in the South, so it's like, how how am I supposed to explain to you your view of me or people like me? Mm-hmm. So I let Ryan do it because he's kind of a little bit more soft and gentler. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm very non-threatening. Yes. Yeah. I would be threatening. People would be like, you are not invited back again. <laughs> I think we kind of need that right now, though. Oh, <laughs> Only if you want to offer it, though. You know, it's a discussion we have a lot of because we do have very different backgrounds because, you know, I grew up in Alaska and Josie grew up down south and um, I grew up around, I was the only black person in my town. So a lot of our job was explaining to people what but blackness you, is you, and where, yeah, where but it you is. were like higher class, like um, higher middle class. We were like poor to low, like really low middle class. <laughs> so we were out of the projects, barely out of the projects, but we were in um, a neighborhood where we were the only black family there. And then all the people there didn't want our family there. Yeah. So the projects is yeah. right down the street. And the projects were right down the street. They were like, how about you just go back to the projects? And we're like, we didn't mm. never come from the project. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I think we, yeah, okay, we've, we've both been kind of bucking stereotypes. Yeah. Our whole lives. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's a, it's an unspoken thing, but I mean, there are stereotypes in every community. And I think right now a lot of people focus a lot too on, on the stereotypes that are being forced onto people of color, but the part that they don't talk about, and it's almost more insidious to me is the stereotypes that have been so baked into our culture that, that black people sometimes enforce those stereotypes on each other, which is, it's a, it's insidious. It's the way that, it's the way that culture has kind of crafted this narrative of who we are. And then some of it, it's just, it stains things, you know, it stains, it stains our own perception sometimes of ourselves. And we have to, and, and, 
the big part of Black Lives Matter is, is not only that we're trying to tell people that our lives, that our matter. lives matter, but, but we're, we're trying, trying to, to reinforce it to ourselves. Because like, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and, and here's what I say to that, mm -hmm. is that when you have been like, the, the Kimberly lady said, mm -hmm. when you have been, you know, first of all, enslaved for so many years, and then you were supposed to be free, but then you weren't really free because you couldn't, you couldn't buy land where you mm -hmm. wanted to buy land, and you couldn't do this. So you were placed in these in these spots where you were going, you were heavily policed. You were mm -hmm. seeing yourself go to jail, and you were seeing your brothers and your sisters, you know, not being able to accomplish things. Those are reinforced um your own those stereotypes and you're saying oh well i can't make it out of the ghetto i can't mm -hmm. do these things so yeah. and you you're seeing your family you know these cycles of things just continually happening from grandparents to parents to yourself yeah. so when you have that then then of course that's going to be a self-fulfilling yeah thing. prophecy yeah i mean and and then we, we talk about these kind of unspoken biases that uh, that not only law enforcement for, for dang sure have, but um, this, these biases that exist just everywhere. And people don't even know that they have these biases. You know, they're just so part of the way that they think. And... Um, like a doctor. Uh, you, you tell, you show... Uh, some children, no matter what race the children are, you know, show uh, some children, you know, a black person in a in whatever situation and a white person in a situation, and then they'll say, "Show me the doctor," and they're gonna go to the white person. Yeah, because in their mind they think that this is more what than I likely see. that's who that's gonna be, and. And you say like, well, then show me who is this person? What would this person be doing? And then you would get if you talk to normal children, you'll say that you'll say, oh, this isn't true. But if you actually mm -hmm. do that experiment, yeah, uh -huh. it's, it's kind of sad. Well, and the, the sad thing is, is that they start off without any biases. Yeah. But when you're when you read stories to them and they watch TV and, they and then see and they see it, it, the biases start to, you start to interpret them because you're just trying to figure out how to navigate the world. So, and that's ends up being what we do when we make these books is like, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the best way to break somebody out of that? Yeah. That, you know, that, that loop is to be like, well, let's show them representations of other people, of people, being amazing in other ways, and that's the reason why we did places. the foster kid too, because that's yeah. another one is that um, uh, foster kids are mostly you know low income people, um, uh, African American people of color are filling those spots up, mm -hmm. and so that's another place where you can, we have the opportunity to say, hey, you know, just because you're in foster care doesn't mean that that this is a bad thing. This isn't uh, uh, a you're bad a bad person, person you know, that you're, like that. yeah because everybody's family deals with with problems and issues so yeah so i mean a lot of it ends up being about you know i like to call it mental flexibility okay. the idea that you can that your mind can expand enough that you can hold more than one idea of something in it you know 
And people right now have seemed like there's a lot of mental rigidity. You know, they don't want to flex their ability to, you know, hold concepts like, well, maybe I grew up thinking that this kind of person acts this kind of way. But all the people that I've met, none of them fall into that that particular category. So maybe that that, that idea came from a, a place of you know of ignorance. So but they can they can can they process that and not make it out like the person that's telling it to them is saying, hey, you're a bad person, you know? Um, I keep running into that every time we're on on the internet. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, we're trying to explain to somebody what does white privilege mean? What does yeah. white fragility mean? And then they're like, no, no, I don't want to listen. I'm, I'm not fragile. Person. I'm not fragile. Yeah, I, I have I'm, a black friend. Oh, <laughs> that's my favorite line of people. Oh. I have a black friend. And I'm like, you know, you're actually showing me that you are. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is the best one. This is the best one. Um, well, it's not the best one, but it's my favorite. It's the I don't see color. Ugh. I live in a world where there is no color. Yeah, and I'm like, for you. I'm like, this must be amazing. Yeah. I mean, your world where it's like everybody is equal and everything's just, you know, above board and stuff. That's awesome. My situation is not that. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're living in a space of privilege because yeah. you can look past all of those things. And then yeah. I said to one person, they just kind of just looked at me yeah, for a second. Like because sometimes you can see that you broke something. Yeah. And, and then they don't want to either, <laughs> they, like they don't want to deal with it or they don't want you to have the satisfaction of seeing that they, that they realize it now. Well, so that's kind of defeat. That's this mental rigidity. It's like <laughs> when you tell somebody a new idea and instead of their brain expanding to encompass that new idea, it yeah. cracks because yes. it's just too <laughs> stuck in that one way of thinking. And I'm like, you, you have to give some elasticity to your to your ways of thinking. And yeah. Hello. <laughs> I think it's one thing about being a foster parent that you, right, don't, don't that kind of becomes your superpower is that you, um, you literally cannot Okay. You cannot lean on expectation at all. You know that there's any ideas you had about what your 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 family or your children were going to look like, what their their thought patterns were going to be, how, what their experiences were going to be. All of that shattered, shattered, broke, broke. But every time it does, it you your your understanding grows a little bit and it heals back yeah. and it makes it bigger and sometimes it's hard to talk to people about these things because they don't yeah. have that it's, yeah they haven't had their yeah and so, and so broken you, yeah so you see we sit here and we try to talk to them about especially in the community that we're in it's a, a intergenerational com, uh, community mm -hmm. and so they're like oh well when my children were little they didn't scream like that and they're like well your children weren't exposed to things in utero were they no they weren't <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's really hard especially when you're talking to um elder Americans, you know, people of a different generation, because I think as you get older, you're, that rigidity gets even, even worse, you know, 
was like, this is the way things are. This is how they, yeah. this is what they were like when it was good. And um, all this new stuff that you adding on to life is just making it worse. And it's really hard to, I mean, I look at some of those, those Trump rallies and stuff and I notice a lot of older people in there and I'm like, I get that. I get that there. It kind of plays into the thing you were saying about like being able to fit more stuff into a vessel that's already been full a lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's scary. I mean, I, I think about that as I'm getting older too. I, there's sometimes I see like a new cartoon and I'm like, oh my God, kids today are so weird. <laughs> None of these jokes make any sense to me. <laughs> and when I feel that, that sense of rigidity in, in my way of thinking, I, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should sit down and watch it with them and, and see why they enjoy it so much. And, you know, a lot of times it ends up is just because everything's constantly moving that it's the most entertaining thing in the world for them. So, mm -hmm. so you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to argue with. It's hard to talk to people sometimes about this stuff online because because of the things that we do, the work that we do, we try to project a sense of positivity. Yeah, a sense of kind of try doing that now, though. Try being positive now. It's, it's hard. So hard. Oh my god, it's so hard. And so I, I try not to say anything, or I, I, I hate that when you have like, because I only, I only deal in in uh, Facebook because I can't do it. Too many social media outlets. It just it's too much for me. Yeah. But um, like so, I have a page, and I, I'm I'm like, if if I'm writing something on my page, I don't want your opinion, especially, <laughs> especially if you're going to try to argue my feelings and my thoughts, right? Oh, God, yeah, so so I see Brian struggling with this a lot, and I'm like, just delete it, you know? Like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to. They have their own page where they can put their their thoughts on. Mm. And you know, and they you could choose not to look at their page, but it's funny when they try to put whatever on your thought, and I'm like, um, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, both both of our opinions can exist in the same space right, without right. you, you know, having to destroy minds to make more space for yours. You right. Know? And um, show me why I'm wrong for thinking whatever I'm thinking. But yeah, it's been hard because I I, I always feel a an over an over sense of responsibility to explain to people what's going on at, at least from my perspective because it seems like they don't get it and I'm like well wait maybe let me craft this so that you can better understand it and there's been a lot of like really long conversations with people online trying to explain these things to them and it's tiring because I, I can't be positive about it all the time. I and I, I don't want to water down the moment because that That's anger, it. that like for real anger, that legit righteous anger that people are feeling right now mm -hmm. when they're at the marches, when they're at the protests, when it turns into a riot, that kind of thing. Um, even though I know that all the rioting isn't the protesters, you know, but there is this kind of overt sense of anger that's just floating around and i don't want to water that down because 
Like, That's you know, if we use the analogy from before, if you need to break rigid minds so that they can understand it, there's, there's kind of no better way to do it than to do it with, you know, some hot, righteous anger. I mean, that's that's going to break a, a rigid mind quick. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. We, I, I think at some point, you know, after all the <laughs> all the breaking is done, <laughs> then there has to be like some there has to be some like bringing me, it back together, too. Yeah. But to me, I feel like, you know, if um. If you are ready to understand and learn something, then you take that upon yourself. You don't ask someone else to learn it for you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so like if if you're asking me how how do I deal with being a black person, then you're not ready to learn because you there's plenty of resources out there for you to understand. Mm-hmm. Are you know what we've been through? There's plenty right. of there's a library, there's the internet. I mean, really, why do you need my opinion Netflix. right now, especially in the in the heat of the moment? Yeah. that you're not gonna get the answer that you want from me. That we had this really great interaction with a person who who is a kind and loving and 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 very open person that we I know. I had to but, walk away, but we literally we posted something about. If you if you're unfamiliar with the concepts of 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 white fragility and 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 um, yeah. white privilege, then here are a bunch of like really good book resources and that there you were can. Links. Yeah, there were links, and um, <laughs> she was like, "Oh wow, I'd really like to learn more about this. Can I borrow your copies?" And I'm like. <laughs> You just kind of sit there yeah, for a I, minute. I bought these like, for myself to read these things that yeah, I know about already. <laughs> I, I was like, obviously, I have copies of these books because it has a lot to do with my personal journey. But <laughs> we read, we read I mean, we've read them before, but I don't own copies of them. And uh, but it was really cool because a friend of a a, a, a really good friend of ours as well kind yeah. of chimed in, and she was like, "I have copies of them." Yeah. Um, I think that we should educate ourselves on these things. And uh, exactly. she was she was also a person of, uh, well, she's, she's a Caucasian person. So she was just like, hey, well, you and me talk about this and yeah. then we'll, we'll leave them to their, their devices. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I know a lot of people, obviously, from what you just said, are having confusion about this, especially people who consider themselves progressive or liberal. Like, at what point is it okay to ask questions and it doesn't put too much of a burden on you? Well, I, I would say, I would say, after you've done some research yourself mm-hmm. and you have a point of view and you have some understanding, then you can say, "Well, I've read this thing and." Um, I, I would like some clarity or, you know, something like that, because then that way it's not we're doing all of the educating for you. You've done some research. You've done some work yourself. Yeah. That's what I would say. But. Well, yeah, because it, it really makes it drives home the point that that it's important to them to yeah. understand if they've done some legwork themselves. And that's the thing is that these 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 are important conversations. They're uncomfortable conversations, but they're important ones. We just don't want it to feel like that when you come into the conversation, you're sitting back and like, okay. Tell me everything. Teach me. Yeah. Tell me what's up. <laughs> you know, that puts all the burden on the on the person that's being kind of, you know, underrepresented already, the person that's kind of 
dealing with the trauma. See, having a, a person that's gone through trauma explain their trauma to you. Yeah. And right. it's because we, we get a whole bunch of how are you feeling? Like, wh- what do you think about the things going on today or whatever, the riots and all this stuff? And we're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, just a, a favorite world. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the best the best thing that I've seen was right right after the marches started. It was no, it was no, it was actually it was even earlier than that. It was right after the video of George Floyd came out, and um, there was all this hurt, and there was all this like real, real tra- trauma floating around, and we were feeling it here. We woke up that morning, we saw it on the on our I, I Facebook post. Justy couldn't watch, watch it, it yeah. but I, I I watched it, and the rest of the day I was just. I was in a hole, you know, and I was just because yeah. you think to yourself that things are moving forward and that you're moving to a point where you're going to be perceived and and appreciated for who you are outside of these these stereotypes. But then you see that the stuff is actually happening. And the thing that gave me hope was that I looked online and LeVar Burton yeah. had posted and I he love was like, LeVar Burton. Don't fuck with me today. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. It's like one of and the man. most giving, one of the most generous, one of the most kindest and eloquent men that I have ever graced this world, you know, was just like, I'm I'm in it right it. now. Yeah, don't don't right talk now. to me, you yeah. know. He's really good at striking that balance. Telling. That yeah. is very telling, you know. And it's like I- Mr. Rogers drink you know, putting up a finger and be like, Get the fuck out of my face right now. <laughs> yes. if, 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 if that happened to you, you would know I am in the wrong. I am doing yeah. something bad if Mr. Rogers can't deal with but my I, face right now. I also like that um <laughs> there were some things that I saw, like the um the lady in the park mm-hmm. uh, where it said if you are more concerned about the dog, the the buildings and the stuff. Then you're you need to rethink some things because human life should mean more to you than the dog, mm-hmm. the buildings, and the stuff. Yeah, oh, and this is the Central Park. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah right after. Yeah, bird watching. Yeah, because yeah. those were like the two things that happened. Yeah, I mean, because it happened like in the within like days of each other. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, is that you know all this stuff is. I mean, it's been ongoing for decades you know yeah so it's not like it's it's new that these actions are happening it's just that it got caught on video and then also on top of that um we're all stuck at home mm-hmm. everybody's stuck at home it's like you're you're being you're being sat down and forced to deal with something that you don't want to deal with and it's probably it's probably good for everybody that is happening that way because we literally have to stare this thing in the face and be like, yeah, well, we can't push past it. We can't ignore it anymore. And right. uh, so it's tough. It's tough for people that rely on that sense of goodwill and joy to do what they do because it makes it in short supply. And I know that for us, it's been that way too. So making making work has been problematic when you're dealing with a lot of angry feelings. But you have yeah. to you have to find a way to channel it too. Because I think if if anything, 
that black culture has taught the world is that how you can make beautiful art even when your soul is suffering. The soul suffering actually feeds the work of, I mean, just think about any, any, any form of, of creativity that, that African-American people have committed to in this, in this country. It's, it's fueled by hope, joy, tragedy, and these kind of like deep seated feelings of pain, but finding a way to kind of add something to it. That's going to make it something beautiful. So we're trying to, they're trying to dig deep and, and connect with that part of our culture and who we are and find a way too to make it so that it's something that can help other people to better understand what's going on right now, you know? And it's weird because I'm, I'm we were sitting there writing, we're writing um, the epic of Nicholas the Maker, which is about Santa Claus, you know? But I'm sitting there and reading it now I'm, I'm like in the last two chapters of, of the second draft. And there's a lot of stuff about what's going on right now in the world that has found its way into the story, which is strange. But it actually, I think, made it better because um, there's an idea of being isolated because you're, you're different. And the preconceived ideas people have about you because of who you are and where you came from that don't necessarily mesh with who you see yourself as. Right. And I mean, these are big themes. These are themes that um, a lot of people can appreciate and understand. And it finds its way into the story. And you're not even trying to put it in there. You're not trying to be, you're not trying to be preachy or, or you know, or overt about it, but it, it finds its way into the work. Yeah. 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 Just organically comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how do you find, like, we talked a little bit about, um, wait, no, hold up. I'm switching gears. Okay. (laughs) 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 What's it been like to see all of these, like, brands and publishing companies and everyone kind of putting up Black Lives Matter and the Black Squares and all that kind of stuff? And, I mean, and this week it's kind of petered out a little bit. Yeah. How, yeah. how is, what are your thoughts well, on that kind of? Let, let me let me tell you about my experience. Uh, I am a NASCAR girl. My dad, wow. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. my dad from very young we would watch NASCAR. My dad grew up same way with his father, and so um, the events of NASCAR. I don't know if you know anything about it. A little um, bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they came back, they came back and. Uh, I guess the the main guy at NASCAR um, kind of took the stance of, you know, they they said Black Lives Matter, and then they kind of like stopped one of their races, and um, they paused for George Floyd. Mm-hmm. They then the next race or something said no Confederate flags, mm-hmm. and um, Bubba Wallace is the only. <laughs> only one uh <laughs> professional driver now there's pit crew members and stuff like that that are um pe- people of color that are are behind the scenes or whatever but 
uh, he's front line. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that's front line. And like a couple years ago, Danica Patrick was the first woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's huge in its in and of itself. But um, the I guess this last over this last weekend, there was a noose found in his uh, garage and how NASCAR and um, everybody involved kind of stood with him, yeah. you know, how they em- empowered him and this whole movement f- movement of forward movement. It was actual literal because you could see them moving his car up, up, up forward um, on pit road before the, the thing, all, everybody, even, um, Richard Petty came out to stand next to him and with him and beside him. And, you know, that to me, because I grew up in the South, I grew up in Mississippi and Mm -hmm. I already knew that, you know, I would never go to a NASCAR race because there was too much questionable people and things. Mm -hmm. So um, seeing that made me respect NASCAR way more than I had ever you know, yeah, even thought about it, but yeah, so that that is a major thing, and I and I'm I'm sitting here and I'm thinking all of the comments that I've seen on some of those posts about that and the flag or whatever else NASCAR is doing mm-hmm. that America has not is is not ready, but NASCAR kind of pushing them mm-hmm. to do this and 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 kind of change their position on things is what's is what's needed because you know it forces you kind of to think about your your point of view and mm-hmm. see well why did this brand that i love so much change yeah you know yeah and, and so yeah and it, i mean that's a perfect example too it's like you know it's one thing to make a declaration that black lives matter and we're going to push for you know, diversity, inclusion, and equity. But when you get pushed back from the people and how you react, and how you react that's that's when the, yeah. literally yes. when the rubber hits the road. It's yes. like, it's, yes. so when these companies put up these big, you know, these big fa- fancy declarations, I'm like, I I'm hope like, that I they hold see, to it. Yeah, I want to see that there's more inclusion and more people of color being invited or being uh, associated with your with your brand. I want to see people of color in your commercials. I want mm-hmm. people to see people of color in the higher um uh, levels of your company if you believe that statement mm-hmm. you know and so what what NASCAR did was they actually acted out on on mm-hmm. that on that claim and you know I, I was I was blown away I I didn't post about it at all because I know how people are hurting like they're like like raw over mm-hmm. that yeah and so I, I'm not going to say anything about it, but I'm I'm watching, and it's it's amazing to see the the n- number of people, and and you know see where they fall, yeah. <laughs> you know, on, on this on this thing. Yeah, so you kind of see that initial statement, and then go, okay, mm-hmm. right? I I like this thing that I saw on one of the social medias is like, we're not, we're no longer accepting words or apologies. We, we are only accepting change behaviors. Yeah. I mean, that's, 
that's what you, that's what you card. hope that it ends up being. I mean, literally. You know, it's 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 one of those things where it's you know, if people if people don't embrace this moment, you know, there's a lot of times when something uncomfortable happens and you have to kind of suffer through it at that moment. You know, you can't put it off until later because. Right the desire and the and the fire to actually learn from it and that's where that's that's the moment that's the pivotal point so i really hope that people embrace it because um this is this is going to be huge for a lot of people not just for african-american people you know and i think that sometimes people take that out of take it out of context the whole black lives matter thing is that the whole time that any movement within the African-American community towards equity has happened. It, 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 it always seems like it's like, oh, me, 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 us, 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 us. And it's like, no, no. It's like if if right now in in the hierarchy of, of society, if we're at the bottom rung, you know, the moment we, we gain some level of equity, everybody is lifted up, you know? Yeah. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships, that kind of thing. So it's mm -hmm. like, I, I want equity for, for indigenous people. I want equity for LGBTQ communities. I want equity for Asian American populations and, and Pacific Islanders and, and any any group that humans. feels humans humans. Yeah, humans. yeah, humans. Yeah. You know, I won't hashtag <laughs> all lives matter, but you know, yeah. of course they no. do. Of course I, I they like, do. I like this the, the, that, that, that statement is is redundant. It's like all human beings matter. Of course they do. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like this thing that I saw. They they like if you're having a hard time with um Black Lives Matter and you want to say all lives matter, just think of the community and you're living in a community and of course there's all houses but there's the only one that's on fire that's the <laughs> one that we we're, we're trying to pay attention to all of the other houses are all right but we want to, to call the one that is on fire and take care of that one and if you don't take care of that one the entire neighborhood is yeah, on fire exactly. right. i saw another one that it, it, it might not be a one-for-one one ex example but it was like you know if if somebody says save the whales, and if somebody replies, oh, all fish, fish man, <laughs> like, like, oh, that I was like, that's yeah. a really good example, and it made me laugh. Yes. So I'm like, yeah, I think I saw that on a comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like I, easy I, to find examples why that's silly. <laughs> but like, all cancer matters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like. No one's saying breast cancer is the only cancer. We're saying let's raise money for it right now. How about that? But I don't know. I, I think that the, all of this stuff right now, the thing that it's that's got me the, the hardest is that it really does bring to light the lack the of lack of, of like, empathy and some of the lack of of understanding and mental flexibility that people have. And I'm like, where is that coming from? But Where's... not only that, for me, because um, our sons are adopted, so and they're adopted out of foster care, and so I've made it my job to make sure that they feel like it's a part of life to, to have um, counseling, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're part of a, a counseling program, 
Mm. And but the the problem is, is that we we're seeking like we're looking for stuff and there's not uh there's not qualified people or uh people that can service the African American community. Yeah. Like if you would if we we have looked and we've done lots of researches, but the the reason why I'm saying it is because I we were a part of a group, yeah, a therapy group, yeah, and and it was it was like work it was work for us to like we couldn't even get to the therapy part yeah because they didn't understand our our well it's plot, our our background enough to be able to kind of give us yeah or or. Well, it's like you're not you're not starting on on a no. on a level plane of no. understanding. So when you're you're sitting there trying to be like, well, this is what I'm going through, and these are the they're feelings like, oh, that I'm having. They're what? like, it's really bad when you're sitting, you're talking to a, 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 a trained professional, a trained therapist, and they're like, I can't even begin to imagine the things that you're, that you're going through right now. I'm like, and you're like, are you serious? Isn't that your right? job? Like, you think like, that's like, the right thing to say? I saw a black woman on Twitter say that um, I think it was like the day after they burned down the third precinct in Minneapolis. Like, um, can I ask you some questions about what I should say to my like other black patient? <laughs> <laughs> she was just like, I'm never going back to this therapist again. What the hell? <laughs> These are the things that I'm talking about. I, we, I've went to three different people and I've had three very real similar situations. And I'm like, <coughs> I, I, I understand that there's not a, a, a a book about you know treating the black patient, but can't we get like just a little bit of like? Yeah. Know, right. Just try. Well, <laughs> I I feel like right now, just with everything that's going on in the world, that there needs to be a quantum leap forward in the amount of money being put towards mental health and social services and social and services I but, mean, but it doesn't matter if we get the if we get the mental health and people are not qualified to treat us like mm -hmm. we've been through so much trauma that you would think just a trauma specialist would help but i'm not even quite sure <laughs> that was what i was like if, if yeah. like if, you know what reparations i want <laughs> I want I want a like a super awesome trained therapist that I could talk to forever. Like yeah. like yeah. forever. Like she's like on speed dial when we could be like, hey, I'm dealing with some stuff right now. Um somebody <laughs> just called the police on me and yeah. I didn't say anything. Yeah. But let me tell you how I was really feeling. <laughs> oh, we had the other day we had a, a police person show up here at our door. <laughs> but she yeah, she, it wasn't for us. No, it, was it wasn't for, for us. It was for somebody, uh, uh, somebody in uh, in Elson community. But they were asking. It was a really what? nice guy. Really nice guy. Asked us questions <laughs> and was very, you know, kind of, and about his delivery of the questions and stuff. But there was this. Really, it was. I was standing in my doorway, like, "Hey, how are you doing?" It's like, <laughs> "Yeah, and then, keep and cool, then, Brian. Keep and cool." And then Victor goes, "Hi, policeman," and then and then. He, I would thought oh, Victor just bust something. out and stood in front of him, and he's like, 
wow, you're a real policeman. Can I see your badge? And I, 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 I was so scared that there was going to oh be God. this conversation that didn't happen. But yeah, it was it was intense. It was very kind of scary. Oh I, I would like to been talking to about you. So, yeah, that's another thing is that, you know, we got all these kiddos that are going through hearing this stuff on the yeah. periphery from their parents and on the news and stuff. And yeah. that's another thing is that we're trying to find ways to explain he, it to and them. And he said, what's your color today? Blue. You're blue? Yeah. So yeah. He, he says he's not black. He's blue or green. And today he's blue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And yeah. tomorrow I'm going to be green. Yeah. And red. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So maybe someday we'll live in a post-color world where all of us can be green or purple or orange, mm -hmm. kind of like Dud Funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I would like us to be like that. But you know, right now we're dealing with that issue of, of how some people aren't treated kindly because of the way that they look. Teeth, my teeth is missing too. Yeah. Congratulations. Did you yeah. uh what what happened after that? <laughs> well, it was when it was almost out, my mom she pulled it on. Well, she helped you pull it. Yeah. You put it in a jar? Yeah. How much money did the two fairy give you? Three. Three dollars. Wow. Yeah. I had a quarter when I was little. Well, you gotta count for inflation. <laughs> Okay. I got a 50 cent piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, that I, I have a zillion more things I would love to talk about, but it sounds like you have uh, you have some <laughs> cartoons and Jolly Ranchers to get to. Yeah, I, I made promises that I have to fulfill. Communication right now is is important and difficult, and yeah, um, but that's kind of what what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is how do you make the words say what you're really thinking and what yeah, you're really and, feeling and not, and not scare people away or, or stop progress. Yeah. And not yeah. lose sight of your, uh, your hopeful, uh, imaginative exactly. uh, mission of believe in wonder. Exactly. How, <laughs> yeah. how, how do you take the, the, those feelings and make it something, make it something positive. You can find believe in wonder at believeinwonder.weebly.com. And you can find us on Facebook at Hybrid Pub Scout, on Twitter at Hybrid Pub Scout, and Instagram, Hybrid Pub Scout Pod. Please visit our website, hybridpubscout.com. And while you're there, click join our troop to get our new guide, the HPS Guide to Picking Your Publishing Path. It's totally free. And thanks for giving a rip about books. <laughs> <laughs>